This episode of Darkroom Sessions is sponsored by Wanderer Photo Gear. Wanderer offers large format dark cloths and camera wraps that are handcrafted in the Pacific Northwest by a small team who are passionate about large format photography. Check out their wide selection of dark cloths ranging from 4x5 regular size to 8x10 large size with options in a traditional style, waterproof, and even an ultralight. Wanderer is also open to collaborate with photographers to produce for you a unique fit for your style or your specific camera size. I've been personally using a Wanderer dark cloth for the last four years, and it's become one of those essential pieces of equipment in my camera bag. It's the first dark cloth that I've ever used where I can actually see the complete edges of my ground glass so I know exactly what my complete composition is before I even take my exposure. So head on over to wanderphotogear.com and use promo code DARKROOM for 10% off your purchase. Offer not valid on previous orders or custom work, and Wanderer will ship worldwide. For me, photography is trying to take like my creative self and apply it, but it has to be through this tool. I'm Ryan Gillespie. And I'm Logan Clark. And you're listening to the Darkroom Sessions. On this episode, we're talking with Mike Basher from North Carolina. Mike is a commercial photographer, but also has his hand in some incredible minimalistic uh, black and white large format photography that I've been a big fan of for many, many years. I've been trying to connect with Mike uh, to go photograph both in North Carolina as well as out here in the Pacific Northwest. But since we're all in lockdown and uh, dealing with this COVID situation, I thought um, doing the podcast and talking with Mike would be the next best thing. So I hope you enjoy. Mike, welcome to Darkroom Sessions with Logan and I. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, welcome, Logan. Always a pleasure to have you on with us as well. Thank you. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're located, uh, some of your other things you like to do besides photography. All right. Well, um, I live in uh, North Carolina's southern outer banks, a little little old pirate town called Beaufort. It's kind of the end of the world. If you uh, if you look on a map of the East Coast, it's pretty much as far as you can get from civilization, which is pretty sweet. With that comes uh, zero opportunity. I also, uh, my career as a photographer has been mostly as a commercial photographer. So uh, that being said, there's not really a lot to do here. Um, <laughs> but in moving here, it was a real motivator in, um, we moved here six years ago, a real motivator in, sort of uh, unveiling this like body of fine artwork I had been building and kind of trying to find my way with. Um, so to, to go back career-wise, um, I guess I've, I've been a, a photographer. I've photographed just about everything you can photograph. Um, I got my start in magazines and I worked for a publishing company out in California. Yeah. Um, I started working for them a little bit in um, art school. I went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh and uh, 
so they had RC car magazines and like BMX magazines and motocross. That was what I was hired to do was the motocross magazine. But I photographed like literally everything you can do editorially. Um, and then started getting into a little bit of commercial work here and there. And about, I guess it was about, a, you know, eight years or so into all the editorial work really started shifting a lot more into commercial work. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you. So go back here real quick. Um, before going to, you said art Institute. So before then, were you do, were you, how were you introduced to photography? Were you doing it as a kid or were you doing it in high school? What, what got you into the, the, going that direction into the art school? Well, my senior year in high school, um, I had been really interested in motocross and like, engines and mechanical stuff so i was interested in i was taking like small engine repair classes and stuff uh-huh. and then um was also interested in like marine fisheries i was just like couldn't <laughs> find focus on anything yeah. and then i took my senior year in high school i took a photography class and then sort of that like light at the end of the tunnel got a lot more yeah a lot brighter yeah. defined and everything and i was like man i really want to do this i don't know if my parents were like really uh i think they were kind of surprised and thought about like can can you like be a photographer like right. is that a profession yeah. or whatever you can make yeah, obviously that. it's a profession but like <laughs> um so you know you had these i had these other avenues where it was like you know i could work for like the state of new york marine fisheries or whatever or i could work at like you know a shop this place where you like fix stuff but no i want to be a photographer um and the initial draw was, I think probably the similar to most people was like outdoor nature yeah. work. Um, you know, I lived in the middle of nowhere in uh, like Western New York and, you know, we had like beautiful fall colors and lots of snow and beautiful summers and everything. So, and I grew up in, you know, in the middle of nowhere, we had lots of land and everything. So kind of like my first subjects were just like, walking through the woods, finding stuff that was intriguing, like the way light was hitting mosses uh-huh. and this and that and the colors of trees and stuff. So that's our environment. Of, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. What we do. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, to me, the, the camera was always like a tool. I was always intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. Um, my first 35 millimeter SLR, it was actually my mom's, um, but it had like, a, a macro i'm doing air quotes right yeah, now yeah. um <laughs> macro setting where if you zoomed in it was like a 35 to 70 i think and if you zoomed in past 70 it just gave you more zoom uh-huh. which pulled the front <laughs> yeah, element yeah. further from the film so uh and that was really cool because i could it wasn't a microscope but it was yeah, something that could i get could like really tight and close yeah yeah and then in the dark room you know, you could enlarge it and, and, um, you know, punch in a little bit if you want to really get into all that detail yeah. and stuff, which was really cool. So, you know, from, I, I think for, um, sort of, sort of a big surround everything out here, the, I've always been very like technical and mechanically minded. So, um, the, the camera was the way to sort of like tap into the creative side of putting um you know this environment or whatever i saw of, of capturing that in in a way that i felt i had control over it sure is, is kind of the way i've always 
for, for the most part of approach photography. Now, uh, looking at your work, both your commercial and your fine art stuff, you've got an incredible way of looking. You've got an incredible way of composing, doing composition. Is that something that you found you're able to see the world the way you wanted right away when you started into photography? Or is that something that you found you had to develop over time? Well, when I started, I remember I I would always try to shoot like as wide angle as possible because I was just trying (laughs) to gather as much information as I could through the lens, you know? I still do. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I, I think for anybody, any artist, any photographer, um, anybody who works with that that rectangle, you know, or the square or whatever, whatever your canvas, so to speak, is, you have to figure out what you want on there. And like I said, at first, I wanted like everything, everything. I yeah. could get in there. And then I shifted the other way a little bit more. And, you know, I, I think every person who who deals with two-dimensional artwork probably you know, sort of wanders back and forth down that path throughout, you know, I'm sure you guys, if you look back on, on your work, since you started, I'm sure you've kind of the pendulum swings every oh, yeah. now and then. Yep. Um, I, uh, I looked at your website, you know, recently. And um, one thing that I noticed is uh, your fine art site um, more is what I'm talking about. Um how important are series, you know, in your work Um, there, you have clearly defined, you know, just great groups of images and how do you narrow those down? Well, the, I think I'm speaking for pretty much every photographer here is you, you know, you have this camera and you want to go document things with it. You want to see things with it. And you, you're, you're going to be drawn to things that you find intriguing at first. Maybe it's like, beautiful sunsets like who doesn't love the color of a sunset or whatever or um maybe you love birds or you know anything that catches your attention and uh, for me a lot of my series start off with oh look at this cool thing um i'm gonna go photograph it the way i want to photograph it in my style and then you know if you if if you do your job and you get it all right, you know, you, you come back with a really cool image, but you know, if you look at, if you look at my body of work, I've got those vague, you know, you know, California, which is huge, but they're photographs of California um, or, you know, the Northeast or whatever. It's got a lot of main work and, and stuff up there, but then you get into these series where, you know, um, uh, pound nets, yeah. which are this like ancient form of fishing where you kind of let the, the ocean's tides do a lot of yeah. the work for you. It's a very um, humane way of fishing in that there's no bycatch kill, basically. Like you catch a sea turtle in there and it'll just live. It's fine. It doesn't get caught in this net and drown. All these other species that aren't being targeted end up dying in a lot of commercial fishing so there's there's a multitude of ways to look at it number one for me graphically i was drawn to them and i was like whoa these are really cool and the first time i saw them was up on the chesapeake bay i was actually driving to a commercial shoot 
And we finished in time, luckily, and I caught them on the way back and the sun had just dipped below the horizon and it was super foggy or hazy rather. And it was just this like magical environment. And for me as an artist, I could work these angles on these very simple, um, this very simple design, you know, the, and that to me was like, these are really cool. Mm-hmm. I want to find more of these and come to find out where I live, we have, I have access to them. Um, and, and since that, since that first time I photographed them in, was it 2015? I think I've, I've returned to photograph other areas mm-hmm. that have them. They're all unique. You can do a lot with them. Um, they are a real challenge to get right and yeah. everything, but it's, they they live in very peaceful for me awesome yeah, areas looking at um, those it's it, you really portray this minimal minimalist calm very soothing feel when you look at them um yeah i, I love how there's i actually love how they're pretty contrasty i would say um in the sense that there's you know there's not a whole lot of mid-tone grays right i mean in some of them there are but i love how yeah. you've got just these starkness of these what sticks in the water right you see a little bit of the yeah. reflection uh in the water um it looks are those long exposures mike uh yes all of those are yeah yeah and just really well done in in just looking at them are just really re, re, uh relaxing looking on that subject are you are you telephoto? How far out in the water are these? Are those telephoto or how are you accessing these? So some of them, um, the original ones that are on my site. So it would be like, uh, you know, one through, I think six, seven. Yeah, it was, I had set, I had 45 minutes and I made seven exposures. Oh, wow. Each exposure was different and, um, you know, it was a different composition. So um those were at the water's edge i have some other ones that um one of them in fact i'll pull it up here but i'll keep talking um (laughs) one of them i photographed on it was just the most magical day i've ever had on the water um i had to launch my boat and i went about seven miles out into this area it's it's on the sound side of of one of the outer banks that's uninhabited Uh and it's uh, it's pound net sixteen. That's Roman numeral XVI. Yeah, that's and, what I'm looking uh, at right now. So, you say how far one, out is that? So I had to go seven miles from the boat ramp and, and cross oh, wow. the sound um, to get to this spot. And I'm in. Uh, there's a video of it. Uh, I think on my YouTube channel. But anyway, there's just a, it's a really just archaic behind the scenes video but you can kind of see a bit of the process and i'm in like waist deep water probably wow and it was just as flat as you see that water there it was literally like that it was unbelievable out there that day (laughs) just like glass oh totally like glass it was insane um uh you have a name for your boat or a name of of your (laughs) boat accent what what do you call it it's the rv the research rv yeah. So I think when you first uh, made mention of or when I first saw mention of that, 
you know, in my mind, I'm like an RV, like a recreational vehicle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, what is he doing with a recreational vehicle <laughs> out in the water? Yeah. But then it starts to make sense of what you're doing. Um, yeah. And, well, I made and up then, a full logo for it and everything. So, you know, in, in, research, <laughs> in, in like, you know, in the sail or the, the sailing uh, world or, or the world of ships and et cetera, it's, uh, you know, it's SV, like sailing vessel or R, R slash V. I do, I graphically do a backslash because it looks nice next to the V. Uh, sure. Yeah, it's got a full bracketed <laughs> logo and everything. Uh, it's actually, uh, I, I die cut <laughs> one awesome. put it on the side of the hall. So <laughs> I've yet to unveil it um, in some new videos. <laughs> but it'll, the, the new graphics kit will be making, uh, making a debut a here soon. So Yeah, nice. Looking forward Perfect. to it. Yeah. Do you uh, work in the water, you know, waist deep quite often, or um, is it just when opportunity? Uh, when I need to, the, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, for me, so for me, composition is life and death in photography. It's not, it's, it's first and foremost, the absolute most important thing. Um, I can work with different lighting. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty particular with the lighting I need, but usually the worse the weather, the more I want to be out there which makes it a real challenge um, for when you're, especially when you're trying to be out in the water. That's the way we like it. Yeah. So the, the, more, the better. <laughs> yeah, the more moody the weather, um, the more it works for my style. But the composition is absolutely everything to me. Um, it's the hardest thing to achieve. Uh, it is the the thing you really grapple with any photographer knows this is like you know you look through your camera or am i staying in the right spot no you move you move you move and i've set the camera up literally hundreds of times trying to get this what i'm looking for and just never even load the film never push the button because to me when you process your film there's no magic yeah. that's going to happen that's going to fix what you couldn't achieve but for me, yeah. that like trying so hard and not that you're failing, but you're not succeeding keeps you like really hungry to go back or to really try to find something like that elsewhere. Because say you found something that was just amazing, but it was in 30 feet of water and you can't set up a tripod, but like, yeah. where else can I find something like that? I saw this thing. I just need to have it. I have to find it somewhere else, you know, and it's that it makes you really hungry to, to succeed. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've had, I've used, uh, I just did a post recently where I photographed this, this ghost tree and I had, uh, wiggled the base of my camera into the sand in the spot that I wanted and to hold it still because it's as low as you could go. You know, I ditched the tripod and just, I think I had like a seashell under the front of it just to keep it. Yeah. Propped I up think you bit. posted some behind the scenes of that. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, if, if you look at any of my behind the scenes stuff, literally I, I have this quote I like to put out there every now and then if your camera ain't dying, you ain't trying. Uh, and you know, I've had, uh, if there's any, uh, tripod manufacturers out there listening to this, um, looking for somebody to do some torture testing. Um, a lot of the work I do is in salt water and literally almost up to oh, the tripod yeah. head is pretty common Yep. Yeah. just to get as low as you can. 
um, you know, right, right where you need to be. And it's just like, it's just gear. It doesn't matter. I bring it home. I wash it. I yeah. actually use a, uh, uh, shotgun cleaning kit to clean out the tubes in my, uh, in my tripod tripod. Legs oh, that's every a now good and idea. Then. Love that. So yeah, I swab them out and, um, yeah. And the cameras I've, I've, <laughs> I dropped my 90 millimeter in the, in the ocean a couple years ago oh, way wow. out there. And luckily I had a bottle of fresh water with me and the, there's, you recovered it. There's this sinking feeling, no pun intended, that you know, it was in a foot of water. It fell off the front of the camera. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, and the, the worst thing in the world is the only option you have to get salt water out of your lens is to pour more water pour over water it. water in it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so I, dumped, I just dumped this bottle of, of drinking water that I had with me all over it, took it apart, cleaned the cells out, dried them. And 10 minutes later, photographed this, this old duck blind. And to this day is like one of my more favorite photos. It's a cool photo, but it's like the backstory behind yeah, it. Yeah, the backstory of it. Just yep. at yeah. the bottom of the ocean. You earned that and one. And I, it was in like January too. So it was super cold. I had to get down and get it. Um, but you know, when you're there and the conditions are right, you know, and that's, part of being a quote unquote professional is like, regardless of what happens, you have to produce. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and yeah. I think that that sort of comes from my commercial standpoint is like when you're, when someone's paying you to be there, doesn't, if it's raining, deal with it. If it's too windy, deal yep. with it. If you know, yep. like we have you for the day, this is what we need. It's you have to have, make this happen. So that's kind of what I, what I work with, on my own, but it's just me out there trying to motivate myself, you know? Yeah. So Mike in commercial, in your commercial work, I'm assuming you are, and I, I think we've talked a little, you're strictly all digital. Right. And when you do your fine art work, you're strictly all what? Four by five large format film. It's 99% four by five. Yeah. I have a Mia six, um, that I've had for almost a decade that I've put like three rolls of film through, oh, <laughs> but yeah, that's, it's all that's four a by camera five. though. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much all large format. So yeah. what, why do you choose to do that? I mean, you're so comfortable on the commercial side with your digital. Why not just take the digital out to do your fine artwork? Well, the, I have a sort of a love hate relationship with digital. I, I switched to digital really late, like 2005, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I was working for a publishing company shooting all kinds of sports events and this and that I was shooting film and processing 25 grand a year and 35 millimeter slide. Oh, geez. <laughs> Whoa. And, uh, I had to buy a digital camera. It was up to me. So I bought a D two X, which was five grand. And, uh, and I stopped using my light meter. I didn't really, I wasn't working as hard. I went from an yeah. F5 to a D2X, which is basically the same camera. Yeah. Um, With less effort. <clears throat> yeah. And in the studio, I, I've always done a lot of studio work and you're just kind of like, man, you look at the, the, you look at the TV screen you're like, Oh, that light over there is a little brighter. Turn that up a little bit. You're not, you're not using your toolkit and your brain to process what you're going after. You're looking at a screen seeing, is that what I want? 
Yeah. Um, so there's, it's, it's a little bit different process of working. So I got a large format camera in 2009 because I had just gotten like, I don't want to use the word lazy, but you're just kind of like, just looking at the screen. Yeah. You know? Wasn't really as engaged with what I was creating as much as I wanted to be. So I got a large format camera because I always wanted one and just started messing around with it. Just, I lived out in Colorado. Um, we'll go up into the Rockies every now and then find stuff here and there. And just, it was kind of my little outlet to just go and create things. And then on the flip side of that, you know, the commercial stuff was just like, it was picking up and, you know, it can be, sometimes it's just like you, you by yourself in a studio photographing something. Sometimes it's like 30 people on set with yeah. all kinds of chaos going on. Um, and the film aspect of it, like I said a minute ago, it's just like me. That's it. And, yeah. you know, all the behind the scenes videos you see that I do, I shouldn't say all, there's a few of them, but it's just, I set up my camera on tripod to what I want to see. And I just go do what I'm going to do and everything in front of it. So it's just <laughs> me out there motivating myself and in, in, in finding things that I want to photograph and digitally, um, you know, I'll, I'll go to popular places every now and then where you'll have people with digital cameras and they're set on auto bracket. Oh yeah. And you're just like, you're under your dark cloth composing. Yeah. I was in three going on over there. Yeah. yeah. I was in Zion. <laughs> I was in uh, Zion. No, it wasn't Zion. It was in Arches national park one year. And I was set up under my dark cloth, same experience. And I just remember it was this tour bus pulled up just behind me and let out all these people. And it was, it sounded like auto fire on semi-automatic weapons going off. Yeah. And, and it was funny because there was a couple of guys that came and got next to me and I took two shots and I was gone. And they kind of looked at me like, aren't you going to get more? <laughs> I'm like, no, man, when you know, you got it, you got it. Yeah. Right. And off you go. Well, everybody else was just spraying and praying. It yeah. was an amazing sight. And I, at that point, I realized I'm glad I'm doing things the way I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. For what's me, the fun um, in shooting like that? Sorry? I say, what's the fun in shooting like that? Just. To me, that's you're collecting. Yeah. What you, what your, what your workflow ends up being. And I don't want to, I don't want to sound like salty or whatever, but a lot of times what your workflow ends up being is you gather everything you can while you're there. And then you get back to your computer and you see if you got, did I get it? Yeah. Did I get what I want? Is it. there anything in here I can use where, yeah. when you're, I've found when you're working with film and this does, is not the case for everybody, um, that you're way more working in the moment what's going on and you're interacting with the environment around you, whether you're making portraits, whether you're out shooting landscapes, you are much more engaged with what's going on. And that to me, yeah. that's, that's the big draw in shooting film. It's, it's not, not the trendiness of it or whatever. Cause you know, every, yeah. every couple of years film becomes like this trendy thing. Yeah. Um, and that's not at all the reason why I, why I choose to work in it. Um, so, you know, if, if you're shooting 35 millimeter, it's like, 
I've got 36 chances before I have to change this role, you know? Right. If right. you're shooting digital and you got a, you know, you get 512 gig card now. I mean, you could shoot for like four years on that. You yeah. Know? Um, so, <laughs> you know, it, it's really trying to focus on exactly what you, what it is you're looking for and trying to discipline yourself to refrain from pushing the button until you act, absolutely get what you want. Unless you're just like, oh, I'm going to take a snap of this because this is really cool. You know, right. which for me right. with four by five isn't the way that works. No. If I no. if I want to take a snap of something, I use my iPhone. Yeah. Um yeah. so but to really work in the environment and you know, I've kicked around the idea of getting like a Pentax six seven, just because it's a little bit easier to work with and quicker. But it's like if I'm going to go through the hassle of putting the camera where I want it to be, I'm gonna put the highest quality material behind it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So you do color work all the time with commercial. Why did you decide to go black and white on the fine art side? Why not just stick with color color film? You know, stylistically, I <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I can't I couldn't do what what I do in color. I, it wouldn't work. So for me, um, black and white is, is I like things stripped down as much as possible. I, I, the way I normally compose, I don't, you know, going from that, trying to cram everything into, in through the lens, um, to what I do now is very sort of obscure. I like to, I don't like to give away where things are at because I don't think it really matters, you know? Um, yeah. So it's not about making things recognizable to me. And to me, I've seen people do phenomenal minimalist color work and I appreciate it up and down because I don't see things that way. So I really appreciate it. As someone who does, does similar work black and white and you see color work and you're just like, Oh my goodness. Like that is phenomenal. The way that all those colors work off each other so powerfully. Yeah. Um, but I, I, that just doesn't, that's not my process. It's not my workflow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not good enough to do it or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it's not me. I, I, I noticed with me, yeah. you know, obviously I see the world physically in color. Yeah. But when I'm out photographing or if I'm driving around and I'm kind of looking or visualizing scenes, I, I pre-visualize those in black and white. Um, I never look at a, at a pre-image situation or a composition. I I don't see it in my brain as, as color. Um, And, you know, I kind of wonder, I've never, I've never worked with, film uh or at least fine art my fine artwork i've never done in in color it's always been black and white just because it seems like that's what my my brain sees when i'm out and about but i'm curious if that's if that's the situation or if you just say no fine art's got to be black and white (laughs) and my commercial's got to be color well did you uh find yourself drawn to the dark room more and away from the screen uh 
you know, and put as far as we've talked all about taking the image, but as far as post-processing and presenting, it's a whole nother uh, workflow. Right. The, I, I was going to say there that, you know, starting off in a wet lab with black and white film, that was my first experience with it. Um, so I, I don't know if that got me starting off thinking in black and kind of steering my work towards black and white. I've done, you know, so much color work since commercially and editorially, but um, I think it might be a little bit different now where people, everything you shoot with a digital camera is color. So let's, it starts off color. You have to turn it black and white, but you know, when you're working with film, you know, which, which role am I going to put them in? Am I going to put the black and white role in or the color? I'm committed to this look for this role or these sheets or whatever. So it's, it's a, a bit of a different approach. I think when you start off as a photographer navigating, you know, you see, you live in a world in color. Do you want to shoot in black and white? Cause it's different. Um, do you like the aesthetic of it? Is it just what's easily easy to access? You know, you can process black and white film in your kitchen and you can yeah. print it in your bathroom. You know, you can set up a little dark room in your bathroom. It's easy color you can process in your kitchen but as far as printing it's not that yeah. that easy to deal with are, are you are you processing your own work work or negatives so yeah my all my work is sheet film black and white sheet film and i i process it by hand and then um initially like in 2009 when i started shooting film again i I had a little dark room in my basement and stuff and was getting into it again. And, you know, it goes without, without fail that loading black and white film into, into film holders and everything, it attracts dust and hair and everything else. And, you know, as, as luck always has it, the, the hair from your arm always ends up on the whitest part of a beautiful white cloud <laughs> over the mountain. Of course. And it prints yeah. as black squiggly and it just looks yeah. awful. Yeah. And you of can course. bleach it out, but it's a real pain. Um, so anyway, a, a couple years into doing that, I was like, you know, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. And building this like catalog of work, I wanted to digitize it. So anyway, I, I invested in Imicon scanner and have just been using that for, for all my work. So I photograph it, um, process it, and then I scan it. And then from there, um, I work with, uh, I do, most of my printing is done with welding color lab out in, um, LA area. Mm -hmm. So they do a process that is, it's a light jet. So it takes your digital file and projects it via laser beam onto actual black and white silver gelatin fiber paper. So you, and then, you know, they process it with all archival methods, the way you would, the way you would in a dark room. Yeah. The way you would in a dark room. So the only difference is that it hits that digital phase where, you know, really all I do is just like dodging and burning and contrast adjustments and a lot of spotting. Um, and then, uh, you know, you, you're my, my additioned work is very consistent because it's all done 
by a computer essentially at the, at the printer. So, uh, you know, they start with the same file, you know, they could print one this year, they could print one next year, they could print one 10 years from now, hopefully they're still in business and making yeah. paper and everything. Um, <laughs> Should be consistent. It makes, it makes things a lot more consistent. And the other thing is, is that my editions go up to 40 by 50 inches. Wow. So yeah. printing one of those, why I have fantasized so many times about doing it, because <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing holding a print that big. Um, printing one of those by hand, yeah. Uh, would pain be, in the ass. Yeah. yeah. Just pain a, in the ass. I would have to be selling guaranteed to be selling so much work to, to be like, that is totally worth my time. <laughs> you know, so like uh, you actually are hitting on a subject that somebody had reached out to me this week talking about, which is, you know, getting in and doing fine art print sales. Like how do you, how do you do that? Like what, like what works I don't for know. you? Yeah. What works for you? Um, is, it, is, it, is it gallery shows? Is it having your own gallery space? Is it uh, online work? Um, yeah. Has, has there been something that's worked good for you? Well, or is it still a crapshoot? It's, it's all, it's all a crapshoot, but you have to be, you have to be prepared. It's like market. It's marketing. It's marketing. Sure. Yep. You know, if you're an editorial photographer or a wedding photographer or a commercial photographer, you have to market yourself. And that comes, especially when it comes to artwork, because it's so personal, that comes with dealing with lots of failures. Um, <laughs> or just being being able to accept that and learn from it um, and being able to, you know, move on uh, in a positive way, you know, learning from your, not, not that you made a mistake, but learning from this experience. Yeah. Um, I, I've, so in the, in the six years of marketing my work, my fine artwork, um, I've been with a couple galleries. Uh, I have some great stories, but I'm with this <laughs> one awesome gallery currently, uh, Ella Richardson fine art in Charleston, South Carolina. And I obviously sell stuff myself mm -hmm. because you know, you're marketing yourself. Why wouldn't you? Uh, a lot of my focus is through galleries and trying to get in more galleries mm -hmm. because they, it's really hard to sell your own work. Yeah. Um, some people are really good at it. Uh, when it, 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 it boils down to insecurities for most people, like, you know, I don't want to sit here and talk about how awesome this thing is and blah, yeah. blah, blah. I would love to tell you a story about how I, how I did it or whatever. Some things don't have great stories though. Um, so I know a lot of artists and photographers have moved into this, like, Oh, I just want to sell my own stuff. I don't want to pay gallery 50% or whatever. Yeah. But that turns into a job. Like, yeah. you know, you're not, are you the creative person anymore? Are you like trying to sell? Does the work have the same aesthetic to it when all of a sudden you're like, how can I sell this? Because I have to sell it. How can I sell it? Where for me, I'm looking at it as how can I tell the story of this thing I'm photographing or whatever? And right. how can I make this look as cool? What I conceive is as cool as possible. And then if I'm doing, if I'm applying myself to this photograph, it's sellable because I, I think that 
you know, the galleries that I've been with and am with are like, they see that in you, right. They can sell your work. And so if, as long as you're doing what you do and you're doing as best as you can, it'll show in your work, it'll show it, it shows yeah. in your work and it's going to speak to people to where they're going to want to live with it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, I've had, I had my own gallery space for a little while cause I really wanted to see what it was all about, see uh-huh. how hard it is. See, uh, it was also a studio space as well. So it wasn't just like a total roll Still of the dice. A lot of work. Right. Right. So to really learn about what I could about the fine art world and it's, you know, some artists sell themselves. It's like, Oh, you know, Banksy or whatever, you know, yeah, like yeah. sold, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. doesn't matter what it is. It will sell. It'll sell. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so there, there are those artists out there in every genre of photography, sculpture, whatever, that if their signatures on it, it will sell, um, plain and simple. So, so frustrating. <laughs> yeah my signature doesn't allow for that exactly <laughs> mike how, you you're obviously doing you know commercial work for you, you know your job right that's that's paying the bills and then you have this other side of work that you do that you go out and to achieve uh, how do you make it so that going out and doing this fine artwork isn't work for you Cause I mean, being consumed in photography all the time, eventually I would assume starts to feel like work. Well, the, the cool thing is, is that the, the commercial work and the fine art work are about as polar opposite as you can get. Sure. Um, I mean, I guess it would be a little more polar opposite if I was shooting like a wet plate or something where I'm actually, you know, creating the plates and everything. And that would, you know, that's a little more hands-on, but it's stylistically and everything. They're, they're as bipolar as it gets, really. Um, and both are outlets from each other. Um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of like product studio work where basically you can light however you want it lit. It doesn't matter. You can put the camera wherever you want. You can put the product however you want. You can light it however you want. You have complete control over whatever it is. I can make it rain in my studio. I can make it foggy. <laughs> It doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want to do and light it however I want it to be. But on the flip side of that is in the, with the fine artwork, you have so many variables that you have absolutely no control over and you're chasing it. You're figuring out what is today a day where I could do something. And, you know, if I'm photographing things, where there's a tide, what's the tide looking like? Where's the wind coming from? All kinds of, all kinds of things that are, there's so many challenges that you cannot have any control over that you have to overcome to create a photograph that you want to create. And some days, you know, I'm, I'm not a person that travels with a camera. Um, I shoot maybe, I suppose maybe a hundred sheets of film a year, maybe. Uh. Um, I don't, I'm not driving around looking for stuff. Usually I, I think about what I want to do and I think about where I can achieve that. And then I try to make that happen. It's not like, 
I got the camera in the trunk driving around. Oh, look at that thing over there. I'm going to go try to try to photograph it. It is that way, obviously, if I'm traveling somewhere, if I go to uh, Iceland, let's say, like, yeah, obviously, I'm there, that's what I'm there to do. Yeah. But as far as like day to day stuff around my area, um, and there's a lot of beautiful things to photograph in my area. Um, it's not, I like to have a plan of what, what do I need additionally for this portfolio of work and think about what I can get and what the tide needs to be like and what, what I need the weather to be like. I've had this one photograph that I've wanted to shoot for two years, but the weather just has not been right for me to get out in the boat to go over and do it. Um, crazy. But when the tide and the weather are right, I know exactly what I need to do and exactly where I need to put the camera to get it. So I, yeah. I'm just, I'm prepared because I've seen it yeah. in my travels around and it wasn't right at the time. And, you know, I think a lot of photographers can attest to this too, is like, you see that I didn't take a picture of it yet, but I know what I want and I'm waiting. Yeah. You know, I was, I was fortunate years ago to work with Michael Fatale uh, down in, um, the American Southwest and in his gallery next to his pictures, that was one thing he'd always post with the image was, you know, it would say like waited, you know, five days or waited two weeks or whatever, you know, for, yeah. for this image to happen. And that, that I, I admired that a lot because I'm the type where I'll just get in the car and I just go cruising. I, I call it hunting, right? It's, yeah. it's trying to find what sticks out to you you're a lot like him. And I admire that where you have in your mind what you want to accomplish and you may have to put it off for like he say a couple months or a couple years before you yeah. finally get just the right moment. That's yeah. That's, that's incredible. Not, I'm not chasing. It's not like I'm going to put my whole life on hold until this one. I want to get this one photograph. You know, there's multiple places that have multiple scenes that I want to get right. That just right. when I've seen them weren't right. Um, so when you're around there, you're like, Oh, could, could it be it? Um, you know, like if, if, if you go to the, you know, the landing image on my homepage right now is from this ghost forest series and it's this tree in this lagoon that's upside down. It's a cedar tree and it's been uprooted by call it what you want. Uh, the sand due to currents has left it abandoned and it's upside down in this lagoon and i saw it in that spot in that position like last fall and i think i photographed it in like march or something it was the thickest fog there's actually uh i have a behind the scenes video of the, of the making of this photograph actually and it's the thickest pea soup fog anything less would not have worked because the lagoon that it's in the middle of is not that big oh. like you would it, you know it the you could easily see the stuff behind easily. it it's the the shoreline's only 200 feet behind that so this oh, wow. is like the thickest pea soup fog you could ever ask for and it was just having that like this is i, I want to photograph this thing i need this specific situation and luckily for me, I went over there. If you watch the video, I got over there and the tide was too high. I wanted to see more of the tree. So then you're risking like, well, if I wait, is the fog going to burn off? Yeah, crazy. And the shot's just going to be a bust. Yeah. Um, so things came of, together. 
Yeah, luckily. Clearly. Um, but it's sort of that like being prepared, uh, you know, way of looking at things that really we all have to do. But if you're on a road trip or whatever, you're kind of taking whatever comes at you, you know? Right. Yeah, right. I've, I've had a lot of experiences like that where it's like you kind of hope that I'm going to go to this location and I kind of hope that the environment is looking or feeling this way. And at first you're kind of like, Oh, suck. I've come all this way and it's not there. But then you kind of just wait a minute and things start to happen. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, I couldn't have asked it to be any better. And so I, I sometimes wonder, is it, is it the photography gods smiling down on you because you're <laughs> so patient? Is it pure luck or, you know, is it just, just being at the right place at the right time. And, you know, cause I, I don't check like weather maps and, you know, I'm not checking for f- fog predictions and things like that. Um, things just kind of happen, but that's that image that you have there. Um, that's the ghost for, what is that? X I I I X 13. Yep. 13. So ghost forest 13. That's actually, yeah, probably one of my favorite images uh, of yours that I've, that I've seen lately. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, that one, that one falls in that category of, I had already started this ghost forest series that I've been expanding upon that, you know, and these, all the photographs in that portfolio have all been photographed within like an hour of where I live. And there's these areas that are just like full stands of pine trees they're just dead and um a lot of them we've had a lot of tropical storms and strong hurricanes uh we didn't have a direct hit this year with a big hurricane but in 2019 and 18 we got hammered and so a lot of these forests now are just like you know the trees have been dead and now they're just getting snapped in half like toothpicks so you have these half tall pine trees um that are just so um what's the word i'm even looking for they're just um hopeless (laughs) you know and and to me i i've kind of always been attracted to trees because especially like a joshua tree they're all so unique every one of them is is individual Mm -hmm. there's like no two the same so when you're seeing these trees completely stripped down just down to their trunks and their like main branches, they're, they're almost like humanistic. They look like these hands that are just trying to hold on, but it's just too late. Um, and this is all, this whole area is all saltwater inundation um, that has basically just suffocated the root systems on these trees. Um, you know, and some of them that are just the stumps, whether they're individual photographs or groupings of them, those, what you see in those stump photographs, um, a lot of those, that's like three feet under where the ground used to be is the top of those stumps. So they're tap roots. So, you know, they, they go way down, but the, the earth has just been stripped away in this area. Um, and it's just, it's like fascinatingly eerie scene to, to witness around here. Um, so it's, it's kind of one of those, for me, it's, it's a draw visually in that 
it's so otherworldly. Uh-huh. And in another in another way is sort of like scientifically, you know, if we're talking about sea level change, for example, is that between this and my hunting island series, this is coastal like coastal areas around the world. This is like what it's gonna look like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, hunting yeah. islands a little bit different where they that area has really bad case of what's called longshore drift, where the ocean currents sideswipe the beach and just erode it like crazy. But you know, they're they're both examples of these maritime forests that are just lost their footing to the ocean. So, you know, the when you talk about you know, to sort of go back to the beginning of the conversation is you know, you find this this thing you want to photograph. How can you expand upon that? And you kind of have to think about it almost editorially is how can you tell a story about this thing or this place? And how can you expand upon that? And that's creatively, that's where the real fun and challenge comes in is finding that story and telling it with your camera um, in, a, in a way that people can really understand and appreciate. Um, so aside from just trying to sell prints of, of, of my work, it's also trying to show what's going on out there in this like powerful, beautiful, unique way uh, is kind of the way I like to approach sort of that that natural world especially in like buffer zones where you've got like you know the coastline meeting the ocean and all this these yeah. ecosystems going on is that like telling the story of that area because it's yeah. so temperamental you know yeah. yep and and can change drastically to the point from one year to the next it's going to be unrecognizable so right. kind of document it and I, I think as photographers that's part of our duty is to um doc just keep a keep a record of sorts yeah. of, right, of what's right. around us right. are there any uh new series you've been working on or things you have in mind um i have i've been developing <laughs> uh no pun intended this this thing i haven't i it started out as a personal challenge i guess i could talk about it um it started out as a personal challenge a couple of years ago of can i photograph a day like um you think about what happened like what happened in the world today or what happened in the world three three years ago tuesday or whatever you know the the there's a couple different ways of looking at at time and scientifically how can you tell these stories specifically about say like um like coastal erosion for example or um you know uh ice melt et cetera, et cetera. all these these things that you know traditionally you know photographs of you know for climate change it's like polar bears you know here's here's a photo of of this just emaciated polar bear or the penguins now have to walk farther across all this dirt that they can't belly slide on because there's just less ice and snow between them and the ocean. Um, so it's hard to tell that story except for with a series of photos to show that. 
that, you know, you could back up with scientific studies. So <clears throat> what, what started with this challenge of like, it's kind of this gimmick, like, huh, I wonder if I could like take a photo for a day. Um, now I've figured out the magic you know, lining up all the, the photo planets to make that happen. So um, I've done just like random testing here and there and starting to actually put together photographs. So not to get political, but so on election day, I had a camera out, actually had two cameras out the entire day as you know, the, the world's waiting in angst, what's going to happen. Everyone's waiting in angst, what's going to happen. So during this time period of like Americans going to the polls, um, you know, early, early voting aside, but America goes to the polls, votes are counted, this and that, there's this slice of time that I have a photograph of and it's, it's in a buffer zone uh, that has changed drastically in the six years that I've photographed that area. Um, and the sun, sometimes I have the sun appear in the frame. So it's just this streak that goes through and I, I composed it. So it's setting. So the sun kind of starts high in the frame and goes down to the horizon and disappears. And it, it can tell a multitude of stories. Um, I just chose that composition for that, that specific, specific day. <laughs> of, is it the end of an era? Is it the beginning of an era? Is it, you can look at however you want. It doesn't have to be political. It's a, but it's a photograph of an important day to the U.S., to the world, uh, whichever side of the coin you want to look at. So, you know, it's a cool way of, of thinking about, we can't get time back. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the earth arguably is changing. What, how do we show that? And how can someone look at a photograph of say like glaciers in a bay or, or uh, uh, icebergs in a bay that are like calving off this glacier and you see all this motion, how much they move. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that. I shouldn't have said that because I want to do this project, but I just kind of gave it away. But anyway. Um, so is, is it multiple exposures that uh, no, a day it's one, is one exposure? It's one photograph. Okay. So, you know, like, like I said, composition's everything. So you're committing to this composition. Yeah. You've done all your math. You figured out what the weather is going to be like. Is the sun going through the frame? Is it not? That, that, determines your filtering, what time of year it is. Summer has like way more light than winter. Um, there's all this, you got to really rack your brain and figure out exactly what you want to get. And then you have to leave your camera out for 24 <laughs> hours. <laughs> so um, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. It's, you know, the film can, I've, I've, I, in this process, I've had to overcome all these obstacles of, you know, your tripod, depending on heat, will expand and contract. Your uh, film will curl. All kinds of stuff uh, happens that yeah. you wouldn't normally think yeah. about while a camera is sitting out there doing its thing, just, you know, locked upon whatever you've chosen to fixate it on. So, you know, for me, it, as a photographer, it's this like 
technical challenge. Yeah. Can I do this? And then you figure it out and then you're like, okay, what can I do with this now? And this sort of boils down to, to me, one of the most important things is yeah. why should I do this? And that's the thing all of us as, as photographers need to ask ourselves when we're out photographing is why am I photographing yeah. this thing? Is it, is it cool or is it tell a bigger part of a story yeah. or whatever? And that's where I think when you really start thinking about that, that's when you start to your your direction becomes more finite of where your where style is what you're interested in and um you know you really start keying in on things that are important to you um that you're able to to document through a camera is you know do you have uh will you be sharing these soon or yeah. you know, holding on to them for a period of yeah, time i have some i have some uh, i'll unveil i I, uh, it was kind of a, a couple photographs were used in this, um, it's called Brodo, which, um, it's run, I'm trying to remember who runs it. Um, this guy, Ian though, but it's run out of, uh, Massachusetts, like Cape okay. Cod area, but it's some organization they have that I'm sorry, I cannot remember the name of it, but they do this really cool, like it's, uh, climate science and art artists gathering that was supposed to be in Provincetown in person in May, but they couldn't do it. They actually have another one coming up here soon. That's going to be all online, but it's sort of a way to get scientists and artists talking because if you only think inside the box, you're never going to make discoveries, you know? So scientists have to constantly be questioning everything to try to figure out these answers and solutions, yeah. et cetera. So in artists kind of the same way is like, how can I look at something differently? Yeah. You know, how can I make this, this rock look cool? You know, like, um, so getting those two different types of mindsets, which are actually kind of similar mindsets together, um, in this, you know, this symposium to get people talking about all this stuff to, you know, try to link people up. So anyway, two, two of the photographs from that series, were uh juried into this show and yeah, which was cool. really cool and there's actually a guy and i was gonna look up his name but i didn't beforehand he has uh a hundred year camera come to find out so there's some camera somewhere that's taking a hundred year long exposure oh, for us. um that i i would be interested to see the the how he's got that all rigged up and you know, who's yeah. gonna eventually which one of his great grandkids yeah. is gonna check on it. it uh, uh, when you find my, that information, let us know. We'll put it in a, a link uh, with this. Yeah, I'd love to yeah, see that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So it's you know, in in sort of, I had already been working on this for a couple of years, and you know, I'm not saying who was first or second or whatever, <laughs> but just unknowingly, he come to find out he has this process that he's, he's doing, he does a lot of these installation type deals. Um, but that's one of them is this like, it's, it's about time, you know, the century camera, you know, like, or this photograph that's of a day. Um, I, I try to approach it with like, instead of just setting out a cinder block with a pinhole in it and be like, Oh, this photo is of a day. Ha ha. Pretty cool. Huh? It's actually like a sound composition that's like very well thought out and everything. Um, 
so that was kind of a, a big thing for me in, in developing that process was how can I keep this aesthetic of composition yeah. is everything and still yeah. get this, um, this result that I'm going for. So that was really a, a, a big challenge too, was, you know, like I said, you could build a block of wood and set it out there with a piece of film in the back of it. <laughs> um, so, and for all you digital people, don't try this. You literally <laughs> <get your sensor. laughs> we, If you want to try to figure out, I'm sorry, you're going to have Mike to shoot Mike is not responsible. Film. The podcast is not responsible. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Don't send me <laughs> or repair bill. Yeah, knock yourselves out. Or whatever. Yeah. Oh, that's um, very cool. So anyway, that, that's kind of something that I'm really focused on and am trying to partner up with, you know, science groups, universities, whatever, to be like, all right, this is what you've got going on. This is what you're studying. I want to yeah, illustrate yeah. that for you in, in an artistic way. That's not just like another photograph of a polar bear right. or whatever, you know, nothing against the photographs of the polar bears, but like, this is like a really cool thing that is so surreal looking that people they have just to like stop, stop and wonder and what's like, going on. Whoa. Yeah. So it really makes you, while you're looking at it, contemplating it, you also contemplate the date. Cause that's the title of the photograph. So, you know, it's plain and simple, you know, how, what's the population of the world? Seven and a half billion people were going around about their lives during this, this immense sliver of time, photographically yeah. speaking, you know, like if, if we think about, you know, typical thinking about a photograph is it's a, a sliver, time. a very small yep. sliver of time, you know, a 60th of a second or whatever. 60 exposures is one whole second. That's yeah. a lot of photographs. This is billions of instants in, in billions of moments in one yeah. photograph. So that's kind of the, the way to, you know, step back and think about it to really ponder the, the, the subject yeah, yeah. in the photograph. It sounds similar. I, of course, my, my brain goes dead as soon as I'm thinking of it. There's a, an individual, he does a lot in New York City. I think he's doing it digitally, but um, I think his is more multiple exposures that he then overlays on top. But it's, it's street scenes. And there's just millions of people in these scenes, you know, obviously the buildings stay constant, but what's really cool is there's these people that are in the scenes, uh, that are thousands of them. A lot of them kind of ghostly looking, but you think of it as, it was kind of along your lines of here's this scene of this one day of this person at this point and this person at this point in time. And it, it's kind of a, a surreal look. Um, and it kind of seems like maybe that's what you're going for as well is just that, um, there's so much going on in the world in this one day, how do I portray it? And hopefully the viewer yeah. can understand what it is that they're really looking at. Yeah. Right. Cool. Right. Very cool. Yeah. I, I, I want to see yeah, it. It's, it's going beyond. Sorry. What was that? Oh, I was going to say it's, it's going beyond just like the aesthetic of the image. Like, Oh, this is a image of whatever. But when you, they can be pretty striking, especially when the sun's in the frame, because you're like, what? And is that like a rocket <laughs> yeah, launch? Yeah, right. or, 
it's like it looks like daytime what is going like, on what and what so it really stops you and you're like what is that's you know um so it, it's just about telling that grander story beyond just like oh this is a cool photo of a pelican yeah. or whatever you know like uh, and nothing against photos of pelicans <laughs> i love them but um, <laughs> you know it's it's trying to for me photography is trying to take like my creative self and apply it but it has to be yeah. through this tool. Like I can draw to save my life. I could probably paint pound net paintings <laughs> if I had to, but beyond that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I just, I yeah. can't do it. And, uh, you know, I firm believer in, in the saying that I heard somewhere that every kid's an artist until they're told they're not. Um, That's sad. Know, everybody, everybody <laughs> is creative in yeah. some regard, you know, some people are real creative at spreadsheets, <laughs> actually. My brother. Um, some people are real creative with paintbrushes. Some people are real creative with granite. You know, it's you just got to kind of find your thing and yeah, really push it, it as far as, yeah. you know, just keep chasing it. So, Mike, um, kind of here at the close, a couple of questions. Um, what, what is your go-to film? What is it that you would not deviate from? Delta 100. Okay. And then why, why Delta 100? What is it that you like about it? Um, I, I just like the, like the curve of it. Um, it's, I was shooting an FP4 a bunch before that. But I just like the the weight of Delta One Hundred, like yeah, the image yeah, weight, not you. like the yeah. physical. The, the yeah, the, I just love the feel of it, and I'm one of those people that once I get what I like, yeah, I don't yeah, like to don't change, change it. Um, I'll change development times, and I'll every now and then I'll get I'll just get bored with the developer, but. I usually kind of keep coming back. <laughs> what? Yeah. What's your, what's your chemistry choice with that? Um, I usually use uh PMK pyro. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real. It's friendly, yummy. Real friendly. Um, yeah. You can do a lot with it. It makes your stuff like your edge sharpness is, is really, really nice. Um, yeah. Nice and sharp and it's got without it. Um, it has, I'm going to say it has more of a modern feel that kind of fits in a little, a little more with like digital imaging. That's just like a little sharper. It doesn't have yeah. that older, you know, when you get like an old lens, it's kind of, it's got like a lot of character, but it just doesn't have that. Crispness. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm all about I'm all about sharpness, always have been. So I like my stuff to be really sharp, not yeah. like digital sharp, but um yeah. You know, I, I want that original negative to really be like full spectrum and really sharp. So if you only had one camera to work with moving forward, what what's that camera gonna be? Uh I have shot with pretty much every four by five camera body ever made. And Chamonix is 
yeah. by far. It doesn't get any better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have, I got a, a what is it? Uh, 045 N 2, I think is the model number. They're yeah. bare bones, four by five. I got it um, eight years ago, I think. Um, and it is just infallible. And I, I got, um, I got one of their different ones. It's like the HS one, I think. Uh, yeah. It doesn't fold. Right. Right. I got that one. Oh man. A year and a half ago. And I think I've put two sheets of film through it. Actually the, the photograph, the 24 hour one that I did the other day was through that camera. What what is it about it that you don't use or don't enjoy Uh, as much as your other one? The, the, so I'm not about like speedy deployment or whatever. I'm not a photojournalist or yeah. whatever. Um, and generally if I set up a camera real quick and get it loaded, I'm not in the exact position I wanted to be anyway. I might have to move a couple inches, let's say. So, you know, I have a little bit of time where I can really get set up where I need to be. So an extra five seconds to deploy a camera is not the end of the world to me. Yeah. Um, right. The, uh, it takes up a little bit less room in my bag, which is nice. I also like um, that the the front standard, if it's in a bag, isn't as exposed to just being like crunched or whatever. Uh-huh. The, the HS series there, it's like, you know, the front and rear standard are like vertical. The, the rear one you can loosen up, but the front, the, the tabs that stick up to hold it, um, the supports are like there. So I always worry about like, oh man, when I'm trucking this bag around, is it going to get crunched or whatever? And all of a sudden I've got this bent camera. However, I must say that their cameras are, and I'm not a company spokesman. I have no deal with them or whatever. They're the most rigid, well, well, well well-produced, amazing cameras that, um, you know, that, that are out there in my opinion. Yeah, I've I've beat mine up pretty good. Um, it's also been in some pretty nasty weather. Yeah, and it's always surprises me when I get home, thinking that I've just destroyed it, <laughs> and it still looks just as yeah. new as the day I bought Dried it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I mean, I yeah. have, I I I don't want to claim anything, but I'm pretty sure that my my first camera that I still use all the time has been through more hell than any <laughs> other large format camera. It wasn't a wartime camera. <laughs> in the world. Like, no, no, in your work. Yeah. I believe it, it. has yeah. been through everything all around the world. Just like, but it just keeps going. The bellows are, it's had so many hours. The bellow, it has black bellows that are, are like, faded red from all the uv and stuff and, <laughs> but it's still it's still going in fact i've got my eye on getting another one so i'd have three um just because they're they're amazing you know yeah they're yeah. definitely workhorses <laughs> yeah uh, yeah we, yeah we go ahead logan are you uh traveling much these days i haven't been i haven't left I haven't left my my uh, zip code with a camera in months. I, it was hmm. this like you know, let's call it April through 
through right now has been tough in that I haven't been motivated. I've been motivated to get motivated. Let me put it that way. Um, which I yeah. am now like excited about. I don't really work a lot in the summertime. It's too hot here. Like anything that's accessible to me, it's, it's just too hot. It's awful. Um, <laughs> and when you want that, like that rainy weather, it's usually like, there's a lot of lightning bolts zinging around yeah. <laughs> so, on a rainy summer day. You're not going to see me out with a carbon fiber tripod and aluminum boat. <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> so, you know, now that the, the, the atmospheric conditions are more what I go for. Um, I've, I've been getting out more. Um, but as far as like, you know, April, May, it's like, everybody's just in lockdown. You have this captive audience just sitting there scrolling away on their phones. Like, man, I should be posting stuff. Yeah. I just, I don't know, man. I'm just like, man, I'm just to me, like social media is just kind of, superficial and whatever and and it's hard too because you like post something and it gets all these likes and you post something that's like arguably a much better photograph and it just doesn't get anything all yeah. the time man <laughs> all the time you know like i'm being blocked <laughs> or whatever you know yeah. Yeah, it's all, always the one that you're the most excited about yeah. you get like 10 likes yeah and yeah. then and then the stuff that's just like you know it's maybe your worst work you're just throwing it up there it, it always just goes nuts yeah. you're like wow this that? is so great oh thanks i dropped the yeah. camera basically yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, i was just scrounging up some old images yeah. just needed to get something up there yeah but it, it you know it's it, go ahead oh, I was gonna say, it falls into that that bucket of marketing you know like yeah if people yeah. don't know who you are they're not gonna hire you they're not gonna buy your work or whatever so you, you shouldn't market bad stuff that isn't representative of you unless you're like yeah. this is like this is what i was photographing a decade ago i'm so happy at how much my work is has cleaned up or whatever um you know it's a different story but of just like keeping out there is so important and that's one thing that i absolutely told myself every day I should post something because I know that all my followers are sitting on their butts right now on the couch, scrolling along through Instagram, <laughs> yeah, scrolling, yeah. And scrolling and scrolling, looking for stuff. And if I post something, a lot of people are going to see it because they literally have nothing else to do right now. To do. Yeah. Uh, but I, one, one thing, one thing I, I love that you do that uh, not too many um, that I follow are doing is is your behind the scenes, those little video clips. Um, the thing I like about them is, you know, they're, they're not like an hour long YouTube video or something, you know, yeah. they're, they're these nice, small, real simple. You, you watch it for maybe 30, 40 seconds, right. Yeah. Or a minute. Um, and it really just brings a whole nother story element to the images that you are posting. That yeah. Relate to it. Very cool. Well, I mean, there's, you know, some of the, some of the greatest photographs were made from the side of a road. Right. You know, like yeah, you know, yep. tunnel view in Yosemite. Yeah. You know? like, yep. I've been there. I've seen it a billion times. And, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's awesome. Uh, Ansel Adams and like, what was his first photograph of like 1926 or something? Okay. For a century that view has been covered, you know, but it's yeah. the side of the road and it's amazing. And everyone who goes there should get a photo of it on something. Cause it's just like, right. wow. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but, um, you know, if, if you're, 
if you're wading through swamps or whatever, or, you, you know, at a certain point, you're like, people should probably see what goes into this sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, that, like, I could literally die out here right now trying to photograph this tree <laughs> or whatever, you know? Like, I've had, I have been under the dark cloth miles from anywhere in a cypress swamp, like, shin deep in muck waist deep in water let me, <laughs> let me just put it this way i was i was not going to be able to move very quickly and i heard the unmistakable sound of snake scales go across a tree branch and kerplunk in the water behind me no and me, i picked i was sitting on my camera i picked it up and just swooshed the tripod legs in the water yeah. every hair of my body standing on it <laughs> uh you know and it's just like i'm trying to photograph like a cypress trunk right now like it's a stupid tree or whatever and i'm out here mm -hmm. like, yeah well, some fighting of, off fight, fighting off alligators and snakes yeah and yep. some of these yeah. some of these these ghost forests are like you literally have i've fallen into this like marsh muck literally up to my waist and it's like quicksand like to get out to some of these areas <laughs> in the middle of nowhere and it's like if i you know, I tell my wife exactly where I'm going because if I'm not back dinner, <laughs> yeah, if you're not back, yeah. you're not the rest of the corpse, you know. Yeah, um, and yeah, you know, uh, not to interrupt you, but uh, last Christmas, my wife and I got the Garmin Explorer Plus just for that, so I can yeah. at least get a text message out <laughs> to her hey, everything's fine, uh, you know, or, be back or later, collect the body, yeah. you know, a lot of times. You're probably like me and outside of cell phone service and, you know, yeah. things like that. Yeah. I've, and, uh, I've looked into those a little bit too. And just like, you know, and I had friends like, like, man, like you should have a pistol out there with you, like yeah. or whatever. And I'm like, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to see, I don't want to, I don't want to get in the water feeling paranoid. Cause I don't think that's a good I don't think that's yeah. a good mindset yeah. to be in, period. Uh, yeah. Especially when you're trying to be creative. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you know, if I have a pistol in my chest pocket here, and I got my film holders here, like, you know, <laughs> a lot of times it's like, I'll get out of the boat and I have my chest waders and I'll put one film holder in my chest pocket. And you know, I've got my light, my spot meter around my neck and my, my loop, the, but they're like tucked in, you know, so they don't, when I bend down, they don't dangle. Yeah, water you get water. It's a whole process, like getting out, making the decision to get out of the boat in black water in a swamp to try to go make a photograph is you're crossing a line. Like you, you're like, <laughs> all right is that worth photographing and you're kind of feeling around like with your tripod to check the depth. Okay. The camera's not going to sink. You set the camera out. So, you know, it's stable and, but away from the boat, so the boat doesn't swing into it. And then you kind of put your feet over the edge and you're like, okay, here we go. go and you're literally like you're crossing <laughs> a line, you know, and you know, we were talking earlier about like Clyde butcher, just, I mean, he's doing it in Florida. Yeah. Like, he's nuts. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah. Those gators. Yeah. yeah. We have, yeah. we've been getting gators up here. I haven't seen any. I've seen evidence of them. But man, just like the stuff he wades through and 
Oh, yeah. It's, it's oh, awesome yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. He, he's got guts. But, I mean, to get back to it, like, putting that camera in the spot where it needs to be is everything. Like, that you, you watch, you know, videos of him wading through the swamps. You see how it works. You don't get those yep. photographs if you're not willing to go through it. And to me, yeah. that's part of photography, too, is that, like, ex- exploration of it is, like, this stuff's all been photographed to death what else is here? You know, what, what, what can I find that I feel like I can really allow to speak with my camera? And, and that's the way I look at a lot of things. Um, you know, you won't see a lot of photos of Yosemite from me, you know, throughout the rest of my life, for example. Yeah, no, you're doing an incredible job, you know, like talking about Clyde there is, you know, he really brought awareness to the Everglades, to the people of Florida. Yeah. And I kind of see you're doing the same thing with, you know, your Cypress studies and your ghost forests. I mean, like you say, you're going out into areas that people probably either look past a little bit or may not even know really exist out there in in this geographical area. That's what did you say within an hour of your, your home? Yeah. Yeah. That still doesn't get photographed. Exactly. For a reason. I mean, people photograph Cypress trees. Um, but not the I, way you're photographing cypress trees. Yeah, like I'm I'm photographed cypress trees that like no one has been to. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. So and, the, and, the, that has to increase the value of your print right there. Oh yeah, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. It's limited, 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 limited edition. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and some of this, this one area I like to photograph, there's they've found native remains of you know of them living there pottery etc i've literally had to read the sign several times to make sure it was not a typo it was like forty four thousand years ago whoa so i took one of my friends who's a painter his name's bill jackson he's from mississippi he does these amazing uh paintings of cypress swamps so like about two years ago i took him up there and i was like hey let's go camp. Like we camp along the edge of the lake and stuff and we'll take my boat and we'll go check some stuff out. And, um, we found some of these trees that are like magical, like these mystical trees. And they're like hundreds over thousand years old, who knows. But when you're out there, you're like, I'm pretty sure no white man has stood here before, but I'm pretty sure these trees are so special. And they haven't changed much in the last couple hundred years. Like Native Americans were probably here, you know, yeah. the white settlers paying homage to these trees. Like they're so mystical and you're just standing there and you're like, I get like, you know, nobody's been there in hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just standing amongst them in the middle, like as far as you can get from civilization, just like this is so incredible. And those are the ones yeah. that you can't, that they're impossible to photograph because they're like yeah. yep. out in the water alone. They're just, just a tangled mess that you're looking at, but you're amongst, you're amongst them in this huge canopy and there's no sounds of anything, just the wind blowing through the branches and birds. And, and a snake falling out of the tree. But you know oh, that's, that, awesome. that's part of the allure of it too, and I think a lot of people use cameras for that that purpose of like, 
I want to go check stuff out. And my camera is the ticket to that world of like, I want to go photograph stuff, you know, and that's, you can take it as far as you want. You know, there's photographs made from the moon. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's awesome. Well, very cool, man. I, I uh, really appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. I, I, like I say, you've been one that I've wanted to connect with in a, whether it be in person or like I say, uh, through, through zoom here, you know, and, and recording on the podcast, uh, I admire your work is just incredible. And now talking with you of some of the behind the scenes type stuff and what you're putting effort wise into them even makes them even that much more incredible. So, I mean, hats off to you. Yeah, man. I, I've, I've been a fan as well of you guys for a while too. And, um, you, you, you both have that, that thing that I don't have where I, I consider you guys like lands, like legit landscape photographers. I don't consider myself a landscape photographer because I'm not good enough to make scenes look good. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'll man. be the first to I, I, I'm not a landscape photographer because I cannot make a landscape look good. Uh, Uh, i don't know your your website says otherwise and yeah i was gonna say you're being too humble (laughs) i I photograph objects mostly you know but uh yeah i mean thank you so much for for having me on it's been lots of fun and uh you know we've been we've been talking about the 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 right weather up in the northwest and i think it was what'd you say november through march or so so, yeah, pretty much, pretty much right now. Uh, we need yeah. this virus yeah. to get under control, and you know. I know. That's. Uh, I was going to tell you. You know, Logan and I have an open door policy. Um, if you're up in the area, you better make at least one extra day for us. Oh yeah. And uh, <laughs> we'll we'll get out and do some work together. But yeah, now is the time to be up here. Yeah. Well. <laughs> we. But yeah, we'll look at where we're at. Right. Yeah. That's our. Our our states shutting shutting back down again. Yeah. Um. Both Oregon and and Washington State. So, yep. one day it's going to happen, yep. and uh, it'll be a great day when it does. <laughs> We're all going to be so hungry to just eat. Exactly. There's so much content made. It's going to be un- unbelievable, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> Flooding the Instagram. Yeah. So. Uh, well, cool, man. I appreciate your time. And yeah, looking you. forward, really looking forward to that your your new work that you were talking about there. Uh, uh, the self pressure is on now to to you got to get it out there, releasing it and 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 creating more of it because it's 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 a whole set of challenges to just decide to set a camera. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, Mike. Before we leave, uh, where can listeners find you? So um, on Instagram, it's just Mike Basher. M I K E B A S H E R, which I'm assuming is going to be in the description. Um, yep. uh, YouTube, I think, is the same, Mike Basher. And then uh, my commercial work is mikebasher.com. And then my fine artwork is bashergallery.com. And, yeah, perfect. Uh, that's about all I do. So. Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely put links with everything cool. as well. But uh, yeah, hopefully um, there's some listeners out there that haven't seen your work and will appreciate as much as we do. Yeah, well, I am I'm very grateful for the opportunity. So thank you very much. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure we'll do it again. Awesome. We'll have to do it. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming. Where are they now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That'd be great. <laughs> All right, you guys have, well, a have a good one, Mike. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Right, thank thank you. you. Bye-bye.